you. Thank you very much, everybody, um, and welcome back after lunch. Yeah, we are going to give you a slideshow. Um, people were asking me at lunch if we were nervous, and I'm like, no, I'm just literally talking about my holidays. <laughs> It'd be great. In our stripy shirts. In stripy shirts. <laughs> In stripy shirts. All right, I'd actually, we are going to start with acknowledgement of country. This is the, um, the, 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 well, the French version of a children's acknowledgement of country. So, um, Bonjour la terre, bonjour le ciel, bonjour moi, bonjour les amis, mes amis. Nous remercions les peuples autochtones de partager le pays. Nous promettons d'en prendre soin et prendre soin des animaux et des gens aussi. That's the last French we're going to speak. <laughs> <laughs> sort of. Yeah. Sort of. Um, so, welcome everybody to our holiday. Yes, as Steve said, we were very, very lucky to spend the first three months of our uh, year in France. Um, Alexander and I both love France. We love the French language and we wanted to kind of immerse ourselves in the culture and in the language so we can improve on our pronunciation and our vocabulary and all those sorts of things. So, bienvenue à villeneuve sur we did a house swap for three months. So we swapped with another with a couple, Alexandra's house and my car for their house and their car in this little town in the south of France, which is right between Bordeaux and Toulouse. It's terrible. It looks really awful, doesn't it? You know, and um, it's, it was the middle of winter, although they're having quite a warm winter this year. And one of the things we really did want to do while we're over there is ski. Unfortunately, we only got five days of skiing because there was no snow. However, that enables us to spend much more time kind of immersed in this beautiful town with all these people. We met so many new friends. Um, the people who had the house, all of their friends adopted us because Les Australiennes, these two women who've flown over to the other side of the world to kind of spend three months in this random town in the France, they're like, why? Why are you here? Why are you not in Paris? By the end of the three months, we're literally walking down the street and people would go, oh, let's do Australian. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> it was lovely. Um, so, so, what is, yeah. Um, this is a slide of a, the cultural context in which we were both, um, yeah, operating. And this one is actually, sorry, I feel like I'm standing right in the way. This is actually the couple that we swapped with. This is Christian and Sylvette with my mum in the middle because my mum and dad took them to the footy. <laughs> my mum and dad thought they needed the Australian cultural experience. So this is them at the MCG watching Collingwood defeat Port Adelaide with 70,000 other people. And they are being force-fed a cold pie and a warm beer. And mum's really enjoying this. <laughs> Christian and Sylvette told us afterwards, it was lovely. <laughs> it's great. Um, because the thing is, French, uh, food is very, very important to the French. And you're not actually allowed to eat on, on the, the go. Road. Like, you literally can't walk down the street eating your baguette that you just got from the boulangerie, which shuts at lunchtime because lunchtime is not the time when you sell things. That's the time when you sit down at the lunch table and enjoy the meal. With Food is very, very important. So this was a real cultural experience. Um, for Sylvette and Christian, and this is what we're having on the other side of the world. This is like same day. Same day. This is our market hall, um, which is just two days food because yeah. the market's on again on Tuesday. Three days food. Market's on again on Tuesday when we'll stock up again. But and this is the middle of winter as well, so it's not like it's. Yeah. Yes. So why are we here? What's this got to do with design, Alexander? Do you want to flip to the next slide? 
we come to design with a point of view about things. Like we always, many of us come into this world because we really want to make a difference um, to people, people's lives. Uh, we want to kind of move things on and kind of improve the world, I suppose. And we've talked a lot about this over the last couple of days. Um, and we advocate for a lot of things. So we come into organisations and we're helping them think about the way they go about their work. We're helping think about what they do. We're thinking about who their customers are and who the people are that sit in the, in the system and how can we just make things better. And that's fantastic. It's what we want to do and it's what drives us. However, all of this is cultural. And every single point of view, every single thing that comes out of our mouth, every single decision we made, everything we hear from anyone we do research through that comes out of our mouth into some kind of insight or presentation has a cultural lens and a bias and over it. And, you know, that's not bad. It's not bad. We, we are our culture. However, what we need to think about is the culture of design and the culture of the way that we do things, the methods. Zoe's already talked about it today. You know, the way we do things has come through certain perspectives, good or bad. Um, those contexts in which we do design, the people we are doing it with, the time and place that we're doing it, the environment we're doing it within, and also the organisations and their point of view, and all of those things provide lenses on that. Now, is that bad? Not necessarily, it's not necessarily bad. However, everything we do has influence in some way. And so what we were thinking about when we went through this holiday, we just started walking down the street and going, we're thinking things, but gosh. So it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> is it great? Is, is it, it not great? great? Or how do we know? That's right. And I think that's one of the things, as Karina said, is that a bad thing that we come to design with a point of view, that we come to every project with our own cultural context? And no, that's not bad. But the question you've got to ask yourself is, how do you know that you're right? Like, how do you know that your point of view and your cultural context is a, is a good one for the circumstances in which you find yourselves? And I was actually at another conference a couple of weeks ago where someone put this, um, this diagram up about certainty and correctness. Um, they're, they're, they're on an XY axis. Like you would like to think that the more certain you are or, or the more certain you are about something, that the more correct you are. But actually it doesn't work that way. You can be a hundred percent certain about something and a hundred percent wrong. <laughs> and another way of, um, of looking at this, this is Gerwinder, I don't even know if that's how you say it, on, on Twitter, and he does these threads of ideas to think about. And this idea of epistemic luck. So you know that if you lived in a different place or time, if you read different books, if you had different friends, you would have different beliefs. And yet, you're convinced that your current beliefs are correct. So, like, are you wrong? Or are you the luckiest person ever? And so that's just what we want to talk about today, is let's just, we're going to share with you some of the things that we realised we were probably wrong about <laughs> as we're going through, as we were travelling through France, but also want you to think about this in terms of your design practice. So. so what's important to French people, and we must say, this was observations we had in this one town or in a few places. We're not saying that this is pervasively French or anything. It's just from our perspective and our point of view what we experienced. So let's take you on a bit of a journey of a story. Um, in our first couple of weeks there, we're really excited. We've got the first time in like years and years of our life we've got all this time in our hands. And it's like, great, I've got all these kind of personal projects I want to get on with. And the house had a sewing machine. Anyone who knows me, I'm obsessed by sewing. And I'm like, great, I'm going to go out and buy some French linen. I'm going to make something really nice. It's going to be great. So on Monday morning, we're off to the shops. And this is what we see. Um, Fermeture was an exception all that day, but everything was closed. And I'm like, it's Monday morning. 
I, I get that they were closed yesterday because it's Sunday and nobody in France works on Sunday, but what about Monday? And there was no, nothing there to tell me why. And so, okay, it's closed and it's actually closed Monday afternoon as well. Then I went the next day and it was this furniture exceptional du jour, which is for some circumstances today, the store is closed. And this went on and oh, on. Oh, and then we kept going at lunchtime. Yeah, like and then we'd, we'd, we'd go down there at two o'clock and they're like, nah. Closed. Closed, closed. And so what we learned over, and I was frustrated. I was frustrated anything, and I'm not a big shopper, but I wanted to get on with my project. And I'm used to the 24-hour shopping culture that we can have in our country here, which is I could probably order something online or I could go down to Spotlight on Sunday afternoon at six o'clock and I could buy the fabric that I wanted to get. But that was not happening. And my patience was really being tested. And what we discovered over the time of kind of talking with people and um, getting, you know, navigating this space is that actually it's not about the customer. The French don't care about the customer in the same way we do. We are customer obsessed in our customer experience world. I think that's actually a principle of Amazon is to be customer obsessed. But what does that actually mean? That means we will do anything to make the customer happy and potentially in the marketing world buy more stuff. In France, no. The France care about their life. They care about living, they care about their family, they care about eating good food. What does a good life mean? It is not working. And there is a lot of sort of literature out there about that. It's actually about the work is there to help me support me have that good life. Work is there to fund me and there will be enough, but at the end of the day, the customer is not the reason I'm in this business. And we'll talk in a bit about, about why they are in the business. So that, that obsession is not there. So if you look at their laws, what I came up against on Monday morning was there is a, you must have at least 35 hours a week where you're not working. And so if you That's work- every employee. Every employee in, in every-, every um, 35 consecutive hours. So if you worked on a Saturday, after Saturday afternoon, you don't need to go back to work until Monday. You can't be sent an email by your boss and be expected to read it after 6 p.m. You'll have a minimum of five weeks annual leave. I have friends in France that have up to 12 and 16 years, weeks annual leave now at the moment because the tenure in their organisation. There are 11 public holidays and around those public holidays, if they fall on a Thursday or a Wednesday, you can officially have the pont jour, which is the Friday and the Monday off, without taking annual leave around that. So essentially in May, where there are four public holidays, you're going to be working around five days in that month. And a couple of months later, it's August, and then you're going to have the whole month off and everything stops. So I never travel there in France. Fermeture annuelle. Fermeture yep. annuelle. Um, yes. it, it happens in... January, sometimes in February, and always in August. <laughs> and it's like four weeks off. And the tea shop that we went to get tea at that closed for two weeks because it was the school holidays. Um, it, that's it, because the people running these businesses are running the businesses for their life, not for, not for you, not for us. The other thing that I want to talk about on this particular slide, because I started taking pictures of the furniture sites, because I love them, they're just great. And the fact that they're all handwritten as well is just great. I actually got this one online. So this, nous sommes fermés pour motif imperieux, which actually means um, we're closed for compelling reasons, <laughs> <laughs> which is great. But, oh, shut up, Siri. 
<laughs> so I got, I got that online and that was um, an article from a UX designer who was talking about how you could redesign this experience to be better for customers. <laughs> I think you're missing the point and that is kind of exactly what we're talking about is we would have designed this experience to be better for us as well but that's not why it is the way that it is. And so a classic action that happens as they have put all the bags out the door, they're in the back of the car, they're like, must put the sign up. <laughs> and that's what they do every time. So it's, um, yeah, but this is it. Life is what matters. You know, and this whole thing about living plays out, and many of us have heard about strikes, and the French are really good at striking about things, and we love that. You know, we heard about in the town, they did had a big strike because um, the council had taken the Christmas tree down, which is like the annual thing they put up, and literally work stopped for a week. And they built their own Christmas tree out of found objects and things like that. And it just shut the whole town down. The traffic couldn't go anywhere. And everyone loved it. Everyone loved it. And so next year, the Christmas tree went back up again and it has never been taken down since. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they really stand by the things they believe in. We were there during the strikes, um, uh, which was all about, and this has been going on for years, to increase the retirement age from 62 to 64. 64, you know, and they are so upset about it. Steve almost did not get his plane back to Australia because the whole country had shut down for months about this. And they don't care that the country is shut down for months because we want the government to know we are unhappy about this and if we can't get to work and we can't get to school, doesn't matter because we're going to stand up for what we believe in. Standing up for what's important. And the fact is, this is not, it's not actually just about the retirement age. This is about the philosophy of life and, and the philosophy of life and work and, and why they exist and why they are the way that they are. Yeah. yeah. So still more about work. This is our Chopin guy. We never actually learned his name, but we bought bread. We bought his bread every Ma day. Matthew. 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 Yeah. We never called him Matthew, no. but we just he called us. He's <laughs> Australian. He's <laughs> Australian. Um, uh, une baguette et um, et deux pain de raisin, s'il vous plaît. Ah non non, pain de raisin, ce n'est pas aussi. There's, you've sold, sold out of pain of raisin. It's only seven thirty in the morning. You making more? No. <laughs> no, they're done. They're done. None today. Um, is a young guy uh, who has this amazing boulangerie right around the corner from, from our house. Um, the ma most amazing bread. I thought I'd found a better bread two weeks in because we tried all of the boulangeries in town to get the best bread. And I said to Karina, I've come home from the market. I found a better bread. It's great. Turns out it was him with a market stall. But <laughs> it was great. And it's, it's tiny little, tiny little shop front that's open for two hours in the morning and two hours in the evening. So you can get your morning bread or your afternoon bread. And he's got books in there and music playing. Because he loves classical music and he really loves literature. And so you go in there and it's like one chair. You can't even have a coffee with someone. It's no coffee machine. No, no, no. But he just likes sitting in there and reading his books and playing his music. And if he buys bread, that's nice. And if you don't, and if he runs out of pan of raisins, just sure. um, that's it. We're, we're, we're done. Um, the the yeah the um, the brioche that they only do on Saturdays because that's the only day they can be bothered making it. And um, yeah, it's lovely. But he's absolutely passionate about it. If he was in Melbourne, then the Chopin Bakery would be a chain because they absolutely have the best bread. And through Australia, actually, now it would be a chain. It would be a chain throughout Australia. And he has absolutely no interest in doing that because he's doing what he loves, which is this tiny little bakery in this tiny little town where he has a relationship with all of his customers and he gets to read books and 
make bread. Mm -hmm. And France is full of these people that are kind of following their passion. They're in business because they're passionate about things. There's a little guy I visit in um, Paris every time I go and he does calligraphy in magenta ink. He's got this tiny little store. That's all he does. And for years I've been visiting him and just like, because I love handwriting. I've been at that pen store a lot today. And, <laughs> and he just, that's literally all he does. And yes, it's a bigger country. There's a bigger market for it, but he doesn't even care. He's just doing the thing that he really wants to put out in the world. And yes, he's found his customers and the fact that his business is tiny and he makes just enough money and he's in a not great shop front in a not great area of Paris doesn't matter to him. He's just following his dream. And I think that this whole thing about growth and we always have to grow, and we always have to do more and we're selling out to the world. He doesn't have an Etsy store. It's not globally available. It's for him. The same with our wine people that we found. We went to the Loire Valley and we found this beautiful wine that we loved. It was our first wine of the trip. Every other wine was also beautiful, but you know, we were excited, it's our first week, but we really loved it and it was a variety we hadn't tried before. So we thought, great, we'll, we'll get home, we'll go online and we'll order some and we'll get it um, shipped back to Villeneuve-sur-Lot. Nope, the order form was there online, didn't go anywhere. Website crashed, the email bounced back. It was just a disaster. Nobody answered the phone. Then we rang. Nobody <laughs> answered the phone. We sent them an email, never heard back from them ever again. And so the basically the thing is it wasn't because they didn't like us, it's because in, unless you're going to come to my vineyard, you're probably not going to get my wine. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> efficiency. It's not about efficiency. So this is, um, this is the butcher. This is actually the butcher at the market. Um, uh, but we had another local butcher that we went to as well. And going to the butcher was like quite time consuming because there were usually quite a few people waiting and everybody took anywhere between five and 15 minutes to be served depending on what sort of relationship they had because all of them had some kind of relationship. And it was always a, a conversation about what you were making and, um, and what would be the best meat for that and had you tried this other thing that we've got in today and how did that work last week and that was really good and how's your son going or whatever. And with us, it was teaching us French. <laughs> it was very, very keen to make sure we could say the thing properly before we left that we were making, before we left the shop. And it was, it was fantastic. And the market is very much the same thing. Um, everything was a conversation and a relationship and it's not about efficiency. So this is, there, there are so many ways that we could re redesign. And we, we were, the first time we were at the market, we're like, there's all these people going up. everywhere. And why did there's a veggie shops over here and something else? What, you could do this better. It's, yeah, you sure, you could. That's not what it's about. It's not designed for efficiency. Um, we even had conversations with people we were staying with around this and one of my friends um, who's in that picture was telling me that actually it's really important for children to learn patience. Um, that's one of the, you know, all children should have patience. And one of the things they do is they are conscious of making their kids sit through these million conversations at the market um, that the parents are having. And yes, they'll be chomping on a pan of raisin probably, but they, they whine and they complain. And these days as parents, I'm not a parent, full disclosure, but I have um, nieces and nephews and we want to get them out of the stores as quickly as possible because it's distracting and the kids are tired and they're hungry and they're hot and they're thirsty. But here, it's almost like not punishment, but you must learn how to sit through the cues and sit through all of our conversations because it's part of life. So it's part of kind of life lessons to sit through these cues. 
And the other example on there is, um, is the piano. There's a piano in the house and Fabian was playing the piano quite a bit and it was quite out of tune. So we thought it'd be nice. We'll get a piano tuner in and tune the piano for the people whose house we're looking after and we're having this amazing time. And the piano tuner, um, well, you can tell the story actually. He turned up. <laughs> he turned up. Um, and he was a quirky guy, but he's got his toolkit. And he turned up and he pulled the front off the piano and he was like, no. <laughs> oh, no. And little of French that came out that I could not understand the speed of it. So Fabian got on the phone to him because Fabian was not there. They had an hour conversation about the piano tuning. And I was saying, can't you just do a quick job? This is, again, my cultural bias. Do a quick job. Just, just it. make it a bit better. Make just it a, a nice bit better. Thing. You know, because a bit better, that's as good as better. And he was horrified. It's like I had killed his mother. He was... <laughs> You, like, he was actually like, I'm, I'm either going to do the job or I'm walking out the door, but I'm not interested in a half job because this is not about efficiency or get in and out the door as quickly as possible and do the same, you know, 10 piano tuning jobs in the day. He got paid the same amount and it wasn't a lot of money, but the thing for him is the pride in his work. And I'm not here to be efficient. I'm here to be good. And I want to walk out that door. And it sounded like a concert piano after the whole thing. It was an amazing thing. But again, our bias was... Just get it out. One, we want to leave. We don't want to hear dong, 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 dong. All day. All day. But for him, it was about doing the thing well. And I just want to put this in context. Like our view and his view, there's no right or wrong here. And if that had, we were fine. We had three months off. We actually had nothing else to do that day except make dinner. Which is fine, um, and so it was fine. But if that had happened to me in my life here in Australia, I would have been so annoyed because that would have ruined my day having to have that piano tuner there when I had planned for it to be a one or a two hour thing, and I had other things to do. So it's it's not that there's a wrong, like it's not a judgment thing. We weren't wrong. Oh, sorry, we weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's just different. It's a it's a cultural context. I want to give another example about efficiency too while we're there. We volunteered for a, um, a food bank while we're there and it was one of the things about us immersing ourselves in the language and being forced to speak it. And the, f the food bank was set up that you had kind of, you walked in the door and there were some veggies there and gross uh, kind of tins of meat and tins of veggies and tins of things. It was, anyway, and people would walk through and make choices from each of the sections. It took us about 15 minutes and Alexander and I at the back going, this is so inefficient. Oh my goodness. And people are trying to cross in front of each if other. If we just swap those two things around, everything would go so much smoother. <laughs> like literally 10 minutes into being there, um, we were redes we'd redesign the whole experience. And you've got these paper checklists. I mean, what are, you, what are you doing with paper checklists? They have to add all this up at the end of the day. They're sitting out in the back office. Total, total re-our stuff around it. And then after being there for a week, we discovered that what's been really important is the conversations and the time they spend with people, having conversations as they go through and are making the choices about their vegetables and their things. Because for many of the people, this is the only conversation they're going to have with another human in that week and be seen and heard to be able to make choices. So if we had blindly gone in there and redesigned this to be faster, to get through faster, that would have been less time that they get to spend with other humans to be able to talk about what's going on in their lives and some of the challenges that they're facing. Yeah. And so Arnold, um, the, who ran that session, he was telling us that the really your only purpose for being here, you know, 
here's the checklist, here's the process. You kind of need to understand that, but actually your only purpose here is to have a conversation with them. And we're like, ooh, I feel sorry for them. <laughs> but we started every conversation with, uh, I'm Australian, I don't speak very good French. And that was such a brilliant start to the conversation because that then gave them something to talk about, us being Australian. They had a relative who once went to Australia or, or I don't speak very good French either. We can learn together. <laughs> and it was, it was really good. It didn't have to be that we were perfect. It just had to be that we were, we were talking. Okay. All right. I'm actually going to start on the right here because this is a TGV. This is a very fast train. Um, when we very first arrived at Villeneuve-Soulot, we had a couple of days um, crossover with the couple that we were swapping houses with. And uh, Christian was taking us around the town, showing us the sights. We're seeing the old bridge, we're seeing the market square, we're seeing all of the lovely old buildings and the river. And it was amazing. All of these fantastic places were just, oh my God, this is so great. We are, we are going to have the best three months here. It's fantastic. And Christian just pulls up and he puts his hand on his hips and says, tu marches comme le TGV. It's like, you walk like the very fast train. <laughs> because we're like... <laughs> Wait, yeah, okay. We do. <laughs> sure. Um, and so for the rest of the holiday, we were, um, we'd walk out the door and we'd set off and it, walk like a French person. <laughs> walk like a French person. And it's very, very hard to do. It's very, very hard to be that slow and not to get frustrated with people who are walking slowly in front of you. Um, because we're on a mission all the time. You know, if you, I, I, my... Siblings do say you look like you come from Sydney when you walk because you're trying to get there. But what about the fact that the process may be more important than the way you're getting to? And if you slow down, you might see something that takes you in a different direction, hello serendipity, that you don't allow anymore because you're so intent on getting to the place. And isn't that in our digital world too? We've narrowed things down so far so much to be able to get us through the thing efficiently that we're not getting those kind of moments that kind of might send us off interaction other directions and help us learn new things and see new things. So this direct course of action fast is not necessarily always the best thing. Yeah, and so that comes down to the, the being in the moment, like taking time and being in the moment and being where you are. We've got a few more examples of this, but this one, um, you could not get a takeaway coffee in Villeneuve-Soulot. No such thing as takeaway coffee because you had to sit and, um, and drink your coffee. You had to sit and appreciate it, even if you're only there for five minutes. And quite often it was a quick coffee. Um, but, yeah, you couldn't take it away. The other thing about coffee, the other cultural difference about coffee is you couldn't get a good cappuccino in the south of France. And part of that is because the milk is all um, long-life milk, so it just doesn't taste very good. But the main part of it is that if you put milk in your coffee, you are an infidel and deserve anything that's coming to you and we don't really care about you. Um, so, <laughs> so there are cultural things coming out in the, in the coffee that is, yeah, neither good nor bad. No, that coffee was pretty much all bad. <sighs> and food. So this is a vending machine at the local station in where we were, in the village next to us. Very small town. Um, it was in and you come to the station and usually you would see the vending machine with the chips and the chocolate and the soft drink. No, 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 no. Here is the vending machine with I'm coming home from work and there were snacks and things in here as well, but I'm coming home from work. Um, I need to get my fruit supply for dessert. 
my soup mix over there with uh, my carrots and my little bit of um, onions and things in it, some fromage, of course, some cheese, some wine, uh, anything, all the most, like even fresh anchovies in jars in, in this little thing. Um, isn't that magnificent? Like fresh food is just so abundant and so cheap and so available. And if you did want to buy the chips at the station, it was difficult. <laughs> Not so fresh. Although, <laughs> although, Alexandra, it's not, not fresh. It's, it's not not fresh. So there actually is a shop in behind here, which um, we saw them opening it and restoring it. And they do actually make the pizzas behind here, but they don't make them when you order them. So they make them and then put them in a big fridge and they showed us the little arm thing and how it works. It was all, it was all really exciting. It's really not very good pizza, though. It's just, this, this, the, 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 the contrast between this and our shopping at the market every week, every, every, twice a week, and... Yeah, and that was, was quite extraordinary. All right. There's something really lovely too about those two examples of um, traditionally, I mean, I've, I've go to France a lot and the technology is just not a massive part of their lives as is here. <gasps> they thought she was for outer space when she paid with her hand, with her wristwatch. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, and the, and the lady at the church concert. So in a tiny church hall, maybe 50 people there who paid with a check for eight, to five eight euros. euros with a check. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and they're, they're not like us walking around with their headphones on all the time, listening to music. They do not sit on their phones like us, particularly, yes, in Paris, but in the, in the regional areas, not so much on the transport. Um, we're always on the phones. You see books everywhere, which is so lovely. Yeah. Um, and test technology has not, outside of kind of space and planes and things like that, it's not in their everyday lives as much as it is for us. But things like those pizza machines and the, the vending machine for the fruit is popped up. And I love this kind of, we're going to use technology to enhance our culture <laughs> and our way of being. We're not going to buy into the other ones. I'm just really conscious of time, yeah, Marina. We're we, good. Um, are talk are we good? Okay, cool. We're just going to delve deeper, um, slightly deeper into one particular topic. So... Um, dogs. Dogs are people too in France. Um, cats are appreciated. <laughs> dogs are part of the family. So dogs go everywhere. They're in restaurants. They're wandering down the street with you. They're just allowed to... This is a, little, this is a dog that is looking after the village square. In the a traffic stopped for that dog, mind you. The traffic did stop in order to let the dog go past. Around. Dogs are amazing. Um, we were joking about there being more vets than doctors in our town um, because there were. There were more vets. There were more pa um, pooch pampering places. Um, and we're like, yeah, <laughs> the French really love their dogs. And then we also went, um, actually, there's more pharmacies than I've ever seen in my life. So, like, this is, this is our, our, um, the area where we were living. And there's, I forget how many there are, eight, there's ten. There's 13 pharmacies. Um, so there's five more pharmacies than there are boulangeries, bakeries. With, within like a three or 400 metre radius of our house. And there's also lots of um, alternative therapy places. So hypnotists was, hip, yeah, it was re really big. And I was kind of joking with Karina as, look, God, the French are hypochondriac. But why aren't there doctors? Like, where are the doctors? What's the deal here? What is actually happening? Um, they love their animals so much that they've stopped looking after themselves. I, what's the deal? Pourquoi? <laughs> um, and what's actually happening here 
is, is really way more complicated than that. And I think it's one of the things that we wanted to, in terms of our culture, like we were making jokes about the things that we were seeing that we thought were culturally funny and very, very different to us. Um, and so we did, we asked why. We just, we put our curiosity hat on and we asked one of our friends, Roger, um, why? And he explained it to us in French over the course of a two hour car trip. <laughs> he was taking us to see the signs. I'm not 100% certain that we understood everything that he told us, but we did a bit of research afterwards. And it actually, um, healthcare in France is free. It's completely and utterly free. As far as I can tell, there's no private health insurance. It's all government-based. So if you're in the medical system, then you are supported by the government. It's all paid for by the government. Everything is free. But that's obviously very expensive. So back in the 1980s, the government restricted the number of doctors that were allowed to train to be doctors. So they restricted the number of university places for doctors. And now there simply aren't enough doctors. There are no doctors in Villeneuve-sur-Lot, which is a town of 25,000 people. You would have to drive um, an hour and a half to two hours um, to get to a doctor. And that's if you can get in because there's a short supply of doctors in those regional bigger cities. Um, and then a short supply of doctors in the country. So basically, when we actually ended up talking about it, they said, just don't get sick. Or you go to the pharmacy, and the pharmacy is your pseudo-doctor, and people are queued in there for hours describing all of their symptoms and getting medicines that we would never be able to get over the counter here because you can't get to the doctor. Yeah, so it's either the pharmacy or the emergency department. There's yeah. pretty much, yeah, nothing in between. And, like, that's... Um, it's, it's horrific in many ways. Like it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right, and it doesn't feel good. But also, we would never have got that if we hadn't asked. And so, one of the things that we think, one of the ways that we think you can um, overcome your cultural boundaries or actually understand what your cultural bias is, is by asking, is by being curious and just saying, you know, pourquoi. What does this actually mean? All of these lovely stories about how the French are different to us and our cultural bias there. What does that actually mean um, for design? Lovely slideshow. <coughs> we've, um, we've done work with a lot of different people. And so, sorry, the thing that I'll probably wanted to say here is obviously you're not going to be designing for French people. Almost certainly not. There might be some French people um, or people with a French cultural heritage um, who, who you might be part of the things that you are designing. But we're not in France, so you're not designing for France. So what has this got to do with you? Well, the fact is, um, even here in Australia and even if you're designing for other people who are living in Australia, um, there are different cultures. There are different cultural biases that we all have um, and that workplaces have and that are all very, very different. And as we heard from Erin um, on the first day, the workplace and the structure of the organisation is what is actually going to create the product and the service and how that's going to work. These are two very different organisations that Karina and I have worked with over the last, um, in the last few years. So we did a project with Who Gives a Crap? We did um, a project with um, Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. And both of them were not one-off pieces. They were both long-term sort of um, organisational change projects. Culturally, how, how do you reckon they compare? <laughs> They're very, very different. And, yeah, and we can't... You could not go into the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet and do work in the same way that you did, that we did with Who Gives a Crap. We tried. 
<laughs> no, we didn't really. <laughs> um, but that awareness even going in and understanding who are, you know, this anthropological study you almost do on those first couple of days is who are these people and what's important to them? Um, what is the way they work and why do they work in that way? And, you know, in each of those organisations, we had our own frustrations because we have our point of view about where we think things could go based on what we're learning and how we want to work based on what we're used to doing and how we think they could benefit from our ways of working. But we have to adjust all of that along the way because we actually tried to ban PowerPoint in PMNC for a week because 25-page PowerPoint decks was the standard of any way of communicating with anyone. And we are not 25-page PowerPoint deck people. And so we had this middle ground. We said, let's try it for a week. And actually, it was a really interesting experiment because they were just horrified. They're like, I can't even imagine any other way of doing anything. We actually we, did have someone come in sick, like call in sick the we next did. day. And um, I think that was because of the PowerPoint ban because yeah. they just genuinely did not know what to do if they could not create PowerPoint. Now, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> and some of them other picked up their styluses and they created some really amazing things. But we actually had a lot of moments of reflection as we tried to change some of the things to get them out of their, their ways was we actually set some bombs off in that place at various times and it wasn't good. And we reflected on the fact that we need to be much more sensitive in a, you know, of course we want to push things, but we've got to go more sensibly into it. Who gives crap was a different environment altogether? They were ready and they're up for it. Let's do things differently and let's get all of the coloured bits of paper out. We were almost the other way around with who gives a crap, as in we were almost, uh, do we know how to push them far <laughs> enough? <laughs> like it, it, was, it was really different. But um, the one thing we learned, because uh, the, the who gives a crap one was recently, we literally spent two days, like we just sat down with them on the very first day that we were there and said, tell us what's happening. And we talked for two days with no outputs, like other than understanding what is happening in their space. And like, I will do that with every project I ever mm -hmm. do from now on, as much time as they will give me. They were incredibly generous with their time. But just that whole, where, what is the context in which you are um, working and be really, really conscious of what my bias is and what am I bringing to this? So, takeaways, revolution. <laughs> I think the thing is that really it's about listening and watching and observing and asking lots and lots and lots of questions. Um, we went in there making some assumptions. We went out there with frustrations that sometimes we actually like, <gasps> but actually when you kind of settle down a bit and stop walking like the TGV and take that time to listen, observe, and really take in those cultural, what's going on around you, I think we can be so much more effective as designers. And this is the one-on-one -on -one of what we do, but I think it's always good to have that reminder, that that curiosity and, and just taking that step back and not running so fast towards the things that we think are important are, are really important. We would have designed a very different France in the first week than the one in our last week. Um, and so, and you, you know, you probably won't have three months to sit back and absorb the culture and take that on, but think about what it is that you can do and what it is might be your cultural bias that's stopping from doing that. And how swap, it is amazing. Such so amazing. <laughs> yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. We, um, so, 
Apparently we've got six minutes and 56 seconds left. We so we do have time for questions, but we would actually like to ask you a question. Has anybody got an example of cultural bias that you have brought into your work that, you know, maybe you've only just realised it listening to us or that you are already aware of and would like to share with us? Um, I'm actually going to give you one. Sorry. I, I know I meant to oh, do this. Sarah's one. got one. Sarah's got one. While, while we're waiting for the microphone, I'm going to tell you mine. Um, I'm part of a, a um, writing, writing um, organisation. We had a conference a couple of weeks ago. And um, so there was a Trans Rights Awareness Week um, several months back. And there was a whole lot of stuff going on online about you know, trans rights readathons. So everybody read books by trans authors and promote them. And it's fantastic. I love it. I think it's great. It's all getting into it. The, the writers um, group uh, organization that I was a part of was all getting into it. Everybody was hashtagging trans rights awareness. And so I contacted the organizing committee for the conference and said, hey, we got some trans authors um, speaking at the conference. We really need to do this. It's all just performative if we don't put our money where our mouth is and actually start showcasing this. And, and I was just getting pushback and pushback, and I kept pushing and saying, you just, come on, what is this? And then finally, the um, head of the diversity committee, who's a trans man, rang me and said, so it's not a safe place. <laughs> we can't have, um, we can't invite trans speakers into this conference at the moment. We have work to do first. And I'm like, oh, okay, I thought I knew what was right. I genuinely thought I knew what was right, but I was coming in with this whole, okay, cool, I really have no idea what's going on. <laughs> Sorry, I'm now on the diversity committee as someone who can help them do what they think is important, not push barrows that are my own making. Sarah. Um, there was one time, <clears throat> excuse me, when I was um, doing some career coaching with somebody um, from Bangladesh that was a student of design in Sydney. And she was talking about her, her background and how her parents were quite progressive at that time. And I thought about progressive, what, what that means for me. And then later on in the conversation, she, says, she said how she wasn't allowed to go out on her own. She had to go out with a chaperone. And I'm like, okay, so my version of progressive is very different to your version mm. of progressive. So sometimes words have different values depending on where you are culturally. Oh, and that yeah. was a big learning for me. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Words Thank matter. you for sharing. Over there. Okay. There's one coming behind you. Hi, thank you for your lecture. So basically my background, I'm Russian and I'm designer in Australia. Uh, so, and I can say that the big difference between Australian market and Russian market is tone of voice. Because what we thinking is okay in Russia is very direct in Australia. Ah. And sometimes very rude as well. <laughs> That's such a great learning. Yeah. So how are you working with that? Like, are you changing yourself to be more like Australians or are you? <laughs> uh, so I have uh, Aussie friends who are actually helping me a lot. So mm. my very close colleague, uh, I ask her, please, uh, can you check my grammar when I'm speaking? And also tell me when I'm not professional mm. for Australians, because to be professional in Russia and to be professional here in Australia is absolutely different. Yeah. Absolutely. In Russia, you have to be even more quicker then you said that in France is slow. Mm. For me, Australia is slow. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and sometimes I say, here, please uh, do some signals for me if I became 
very rude for Australians, especially on meetings, because I collaborate a lot with marketing department and with developers. So developers are fine, actually. But marketing <laughs> department, um, so they're always thinking about the tone of voice, how we speak with our customers. And they also, it's important for them how I speak with them as well. And sometimes I have uh, issues that for them, I'm, I'm not as professional because I'm uh, focused on professional in Russia. Yeah. yeah. So to be quick, to understand it's quick, yep. to take a task, come back very soon with already first like tries and show this. In Australia, it's more about let's do meetings. Maybe <laughs> them. Ask what we are waiting for, what we are looking for. Yeah. So it's absolutely different. Yeah. I love that. That's Thank you so example. much for sharing. <laughs> Go. It's coming. Thank you. Thank you. So I'm going to share about my Japanese experience. I just came, up, came from Japan. So um, we all comfortable with McDonald's shopping experience. It's self-service and we line it up and we design it to be as everybody grab your food as fast as we can, even drive away takeaways, right? So when I was in Japan, I was buying a manga, one piece, and then I went to this 10 levels building, very famous, called Animate. I went there and I just grabbed my manga and walked into the... <laughs> checking out, I, I looking for, oh, where should I start my line? It's like literally the people are lining up, basically occupy the whole shop, like filling up each, the gap of the shelves, and, and they were enjoying it. And I had, they were enjoying it, like lining up, it's a culture in Japan. Mm. Everybody is so comfortable with lining up, and they have no complaints, and once you line up, you know that's a good stuff and you go line up with them. So that's something. <laughs> the keys are good. Yes, I'm very amazed. And there's a huge culture gap between um, just Japan and the world. Mm. Japan and the world. Mm. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hear you talking about the service design in Japan. <laughs> Next year. <laughs> Thank you. There's one more at the back. Oh, and there is one over here as well. Um, I got the opportunity to work with an Aboriginal community um, on a Wapakul country in uh, Lake Macquarie. And we were trying to gary s gather stories to um, create an application where we could share stories on site. Um, and we thought we could do this over eight months. And what we learnt was we didn't have the right to learn those stories in the first place. And it takes decades to actually get the authority to learn those stories. And we basically had to postpone the whole project for some time. Wow, mm. that's amazing. Um, and mm. I love that so much. Oh, there's one. And that, that'll be the last one. That's the last one, okay. Um, I just have a cute little one. Years ago, I got to do some design in Samoa, um, working for a big multinational conference. And I was asked to do corporate graphics and experience design. And I'll never forget the clerk of the Legislative Assembly of Samoa told me it wasn't corporate enough. It needed more colors and flowers. That's lovely. Um, thank you so much, you, everybody, everyone. for listening. Thank um, you. Our next talk this afternoon is coming remotely.